Welcome to Restoration Road Online. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, I, I feel so honor, honored to be able to preach to you guys again today. We're going to have a standalone message today that is very important to our lives as followers of Jesus. And even if you're you're searching for faith today or you're trying to understand God today, this will really help you on your journey. This is a steak dinner message, meaning this will get deep at times and you'll be like, hold up, I might need to re-listen to what was just said because we're going to talk about the divinity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God. I've had multiple people over the past couple weeks ask me this question. And to be honest, I had a whole nother sermon prepared, 2,000 words, written down, ready to go. I preached it to the kitchen sink. <laughs> and yesterday morning, my wife was like, do you think that maybe you should preach on this? And so there went my Saturday. And I hope this is helpful to us. We are a church where we want you to grow with understanding the Bible and for people to grow in understanding God who are searching for God. So I pray this is helpful today. I want to ask you these questions to start and really analyze your heart. Who do you believe Jesus Christ is? Was he God's own son? Do you believe that he always existed? And do you believe that he is Lord? Who do you believe Jesus Christ is? There was a pastor who went to a theological debate. It was like an open mic where you could ask any questions of the theologian, of the pastor. And they got into the details of the Bible, and one guy just said, listen, I'm sick of hearing about all these, this stuff, this theology stuff. I just want to talk about Jesus Christ. And one of the people on the panel, one of the theologians said, hold on. You say that, but why do you call him Jesus Christ? Do you think that was his last name on his mailbox? Do you realize that you just made a theological statement? That if you say Jesus was the Christ, Jesus Christ, you're saying he's the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the Son of God. And I say that to say we can't get away from the details of who God says he is. And that's why the Bible is so important because we live on revelation, not speculation. We can look at the sky, we can look at creation, we can look at our own experiences in life, and we can begin to speculate who God is. And some of it may be true, but some of it might be off according to the scriptures. So we need God to show us who he is. You know, we do that all the time in our own lives. When you see someone, you might judge somebody. Ah, man, this looks like that type of person. Ah, he's one of those. But until you talk to that person, they really reveal who they are, you don't really know who they are. Have you had, like, some of your perceptions and judgments just tore apart? You're like, man, I thought you were so, someone totally different until you really shared who you are. And that's what God does to us in the Bible. He says, you don't have to speculate anymore. I'm going to reveal to you exactly who I am 
And one of the most important things we'll learn about God is who his son Jesus is. You know, with theology, which just means study of God, you have to build a fence around what you believe. Now, there's a lot of mystery to God, because in the scripture you read at the beginning, he's unsearchable. We have trouble putting furniture together from Ikea. We ain't going to just drop in and understand God fully. We need to grab on the parts of what God reveals to understand him more deeply and to grow in our faith. And when we really understand who God is, it causes your heart to overflow with love and affection and worship of God. I told you guys a story many times that I, I planted an apple tree in my backyard. This apple tree was growing no apples. It finally grew some apples, like I told you. Squirrels, deer, bugs. It was just a party to take all these apples. You know, one day my daughter was just like, Dad, look outside. And there was just squirrels bomb diving off the tree above to the thing and just running away with apples. Nothing. So I had to put a fence around it and a net on it and a little rubber basketball to hold it and spray it and watch it. You know how many apples are growing? One. I look at that apple every single day, and I say, has it fallen off the tree? I say, it's going to fall, because I, I tend towards the negative. My whole life is fighting the negative. So I look out the window. I said, there's no way that apple's still on that tree. And I'm like, it's still on the tree. It's been like two months I watched this apple. I'm ready to take it and fossilize it in the fall so I never lose this apple. But its only reason that I have one apple is because I defended the fruit of it. And I share this story because when we talk about the divinity of Jesus, this is a truth that has to be defended and known and understood for your faith even to bear one piece of fruit. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So we're going to take this journey together, and we're going to talk about a few things. Let me read the scripture to you. If you have your Bible or your phone, or you can just look up at the TV, we're going to read John 1, 1 through 5, and verses 9 through 13. This is one of the passages that show us the divinity of Jesus so clearly, and I pray that it builds your faith. And it reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life, the life, was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. That's what we're going to learn from today, that Jesus is divine, God's own son, that Jesus has eternally been the son and Jesus receives all who will receive him. So we'll talk about the deep theological understanding, and then we'll talk about how to apply it to our everyday lives. Do you guys see in that passage, what does it say? It says, the word was God, 
the Word was with God, and all things were made through the Word. Who is the Word that they're talking about? John's writing this gospel. Who is the Word? Jesus. And he's saying, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's saying the Word has always been. He's infinite. He's timeless. He's God. And the Word became flesh. So let's start here with Jesus. The Word was with God in the beginning. Vital to understanding Jesus' divinity is understanding that he has no beginning and he has no end. He did not just become Jesus when he was born. That's not when Jesus first came on the scene as far as existence. God became flesh in that moment. No beginning, no end. The Word was always with God. The Father and the Son always existed together before there was even time. That's hard to comprehend, right? Because our big questions, I hear them all the time, and they're fully understood is, who made God, right? Did you remember asking yourself that as a kid? I remember being in bed like, hold on. They're trying to pull one over on me. Who made God? That's how created things think. If you're created, you're going to think someone has to create everything. When you have no beginning and end and you speak existence into existence, you are God. You always have been and you always will be. You're eternal. Jesus is eternal. No beginning and no end. And when you begin to grasp this, you understand the power of the cross and the power of the reality that he would become incarnate, that he who has always been would take on humanity for us. It begins to push your affections towards love of God because you understand how much he loved you by laying down his life for you. So we see he was with God, Father and Son, and we see he was God. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and John 1, 1, they're both marrying each other, saying, in the beginning, in the beginning, so you know that all things were made through Jesus. See, some people wrongly think that Jesus was like God first created being. No, he has always been, was God, and with God. All things were created through him. So C.S. Lewis has a helpful kind of paragraph as you take a journey to understand the great mystery of the Trinity. So God is one, God, yet he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis says this to try to help us understand. Have you ever heard Jesus is the only begotten Son? So he says it like this. Humans beget humans. Now stay with me because we're going for a dive. Humans beget humans. Beavers beget little beavers. Birds have eggs that have little birdies, right? It's something of the same kind. It's not made, it's begotten. We understand that a little bit with families, right? When we, we didn't make a child, really. We might say that, but you didn't make a child. The child actually came from you, right? When you make something, it's like a beaver. He makes a dam. A bird makes a nest. It's not of the same kind. A human 
back when C.S. Lewis wrote it was big time that you had a wireless headset. Now we're way past that. We're like, whatever. But 80 years ago, he's like, humans make wireless headsets. That's big time. Those are things we make. The father begot the son. He was eternally generated, if you would, from him. No beginning, not made. The father and son, the Holy Spirit proceeds. They are of the same kind, the same essence. This helps us understand that Jesus is divine. One God, three persons. That is the great mystery of it all. That this one God who exists in three persons, that the Son, who is of the same essence, the same kind of him, would send his Son to die for our sins. This takes time to marinate. You're going to go home. You're going to chew on it. Give it time. But you're going to understand the power and the majesty and the glory of Jesus even more. The only begotten Son. And you will understand when they say the Trinity is this. God is one in essence, one in the same kind, but exists in three persons. So there's not God one, God two, and God three. That's paganism. Many gods. There's one God who we worship with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength that reveals himself in three persons who are in perfect relationship with each other, and we get the son who died for our sins on the cross. And Jesus has always eternally been the son. Like I said, he'd not come into existence at his birth when Mary gave birth to him. Born of a virgin, God conceived him of the Holy Spirit. He took on humanity. So this is a person who already existed, taken on flesh to dwell among us, to do what we can never do, die for our sins so we could have eternal life. Because everyone in here, if the world depended on us for salvation, no one would receive the kingdom of heaven. Please give that an amen in your heart. Have you ever tried just to love your neighbor for a day? I I wake up, and I'm going to be honest with you, I have trouble liking people, and I'm sure they have trouble liking me. That's my flesh. If not for the Spirit of Christ within me, by the grace of God, I would love no man. Why? Why love people when you can just use them for what you can get? If there is no God. Everything should be a transaction relationship if there's no God. Let me use you to get where I want to go or what I want. But if there's a God, let me love you the way he loves me because he laid down his life for me. Let me put your interests before my own. That is the spirit of Christ that lives in us, and that's what brings true joy. That's what we all are really searching for, that kind of spiritual life, that kind of Christian spirituality. See, if we don't understand that Jesus has eternally existed, it has many implications. One is we think that God created us because he needed someone to love. Have you ever heard people say that? God needed people to love, so he created us. No. I understand the sentiment. God created us because there was so much love in the community of God already between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It overflowed. Have you ever loved so mu- someone so much it overflowed into something? If you have a kid, you have. That love wasn't just love, it overflowed to begetting some children. God created this earth, he created us, he created humanity 
because the love, it couldn't even be contained. It overflowed. He said, I want to call more into my kingdom, more into this life abundantly, more into eternal life, more to understand the glory of my name and have great joy, and I will rescue them, and they will revel in me and worship me for all eternity, because heaven will be a wonderful place. And if we wrongly understand that God created us out of need, we think that God has lack. And do you know that God's always happy? You know God's always joyful in himself? See, if we don't understand that, we'll wrongly think that God's like us. So when I was younger, I got into writing poetry in my early 20s. I was working through a few things. And my two favorite artists were a lady I thought was going to be my wife, Jewel, and Tupac was my other favorite artist. I got better. I got Natalie Vecchio. I'm happy. So I bought both their poetry books, and I'm reading their poetry, and they're informing me, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to start writing my own poetry. And I wrote this little short poem. I don't know exactly what it says, but I said something like, God, are you hurting? Are you lonely? I I thought he was going through the same struggle. Like I said, I'm feeling this way. God, you got to be more sensitive than me. And God understands where we're coming from when we do that, right? He understands that. But he's trying to teach us the scripture. You've got to understand, I'm a rock. I'm a fortress. I'm not a human being that has wavering emotions. I'm your rock that you can always run to when you're lonely. But I am not like you. My thoughts are so far above. I'm the eternal one. Do you know the only way God could identify with the struggle we go through to take on flesh. To bleed like we bleed. To be rejected by his family like maybe some of us are rejected by our family. To love people and then have them give you something horrible in return. But he was the perfect light. And what did humanity do to the perfect light? They pinned him to a cross. See, a glorious thing that God is omnipotence and his perfect attributes is always happy and joyful and is not like us, yet God chooses to be like us by becoming flesh and dying for our sins so that we can be reconciled to him for eternity. That is beautiful, is it not? That helps you understand the weight of Jesus even more. He can't go in the categories of just good teachers or someone who taught good morality or someone who can teach us just to be nonviolent. No, he's God in the flesh who is the eternal son who came to save us. And we're only getting a taste now. Wait till you experience eternity in the majesty of Jesus and understand what he has accomplished for us so that we never have to be punished the way we deserve to be punished for our sins because he took that punishment on the cross. Amen. So let's just talk a little application. So we've learned that Jesus is divine, he's God's own son, and that he's always been the son. How does the Holy Spirit teach us to apply this to our lives? The first one is, he teaches us that we're adopted sons and our daughters of God. In John 1, 12, it says, but all who did receive him, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus will receive all who receive him. Do you ever watch those reels on Instagram 
when a stepfather tells his stepchildren that he's going to adopt them, and you just see they're not ready for it, and he hands them like the paper, and everyone starts weeping and hugging. You shed a tear. You don't want anyone to see you move on. Our response to be adopted as children of God should produce that affection daily. Will we realize that the king of the universe, that God the Father has chosen to send his son so we could be adopted children of God, that is something that solidifies your identity in wonderful and powerful ways. We are not spiritual orphans. Some of us might feel like that now, feel like a spiritual orphan. Does God even love me? Does God even care for me? I tried to follow him, but everything didn't go right. God is with you. God is for you. And the greatest testament to that is that he sent his own son to die for us so we would know that love, not only in word, but in action. The cross always brings us back to say, God is love. He loves me. He's calling out to me. Be my child. Come home. You're mine. I love you so much. I bled and died for you. Know the heart of God. Are you overjoyed that you are adopted by God the Father? Are those affections flowing out of you? Secondly, in application, Jesus Christ is our Lord. And I've heard people say this, and you probably maybe heard this. Many people in our culture want a Savior, but they don't want a Lord. Have you ever heard that? We want the Savior. That's, that's beautiful. He died for me. I need my sins forgiven. That's a wonderful part of the gospel. That's why it's called good news. But the also thing that we don't see as beautiful is that Jesus is also our Lord. That because he is God's own son, every word has authority in our life. When Jesus preaches the, preached the Sermon on the Mount and he came to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, build your house on the rock. Build your whole life on this foundation. Every word I said, who I say I am, build your whole life on this. And the storms of life will not overcome you if you build your life on the rock that is my words. And then at the very end, he says this, because he was the greatest preacher who ever walked the earth. He said, why do you call me Lord, yet you don't do what I ask you to do? Why do you call me Lord, yet you don't do what I ask you to do? This is a profound question for every human heart. Do you find yourself there sometimes? I don't think the question with us as we follow God is so much knowing what to do is right. It's trusting Jesus enough for him to reign in our life that we take those steps of faith. And then when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, he's, he's constantly saying, I want to reign in your life. You can trust me. You can trust me. Don't trust what the world says. Don't trust the deceivers. Don't trust your emotions. Trust my words, and you'll build your house on the rock. There's a church in Arizona that recently took Lord language out of everything they do in their Sunday service. They said the word Lord is, it's a loaded word. And I'll read you exactly what they said. It conveys hierarchical power over things. And what we have recorded in our sacred text, it's not who Jesus considered himself to be. Do you see how deceptive that is? 
Let me read more because this is how the angel of light always works. To him who has an ear, let him hear. The way our service reads, this is them, is that God is love, period. Have you heard that in Boston culture? God's love, period. Our service, we want to get rid of power imagery. Restoration Road, you don't want to get rid of the power of Jesus being your Lord. He wants the best for your life. He knows the schemes of the enemy. He knows the weakness of your soul. He knows the struggles you've been through. And every word he says is for our good, that we might have rewards in heaven, might enter in eternal life, and might have joy here on earth. Amen? Please hear me. Please heed the words of a loving Savior. Are there some areas in your life that you're not surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus? Would you heed the words of the Holy Spirit for the good of your soul and change direction, the direction of life? The greatest power imagery we will ever see is the Lord of all, the King of the universe, crucified on a cross for those who rejected and murdered him. There is nothing more powerful than God in the flesh, the divine Jesus, humbly submitting himself to a cross so you and me could know life and know life abundantly, so that death would have no power over us, so that sin could no longer cage us, and so that the enemy of our souls could no longer have victory. When you look at that cross, see a Lord and a Savior, see God dying for you. Jesus is divine. He's God's own son. Jesus has always been the son. And Jesus is Lord to all who will receive him and believe in him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that these words really resonate in our souls. Let your lordship and your beauty and the power imagery of the cross just illuminate our souls so our hearts melt with affections for you, God. Help us to see your glory even more in the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Sunday's sermon at Restoration Road. We hope it blessed you and invite you to join us for next service at 10 a.m. on Sunday. God bless.